This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. We're always looking for new ideas and topics from our listeners, so please reach out, share your ideas. You can email us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com or connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and you can find links to all that in the show notes. Now, on to this week's episode. The next five years, in healthcare are going to be astonishing. I don't think that's an overstatement. You see the impact that science has made on our ability to address this pandemic. The mRNA vaccines that we developed for COVID in a short period of time are only the first step in the process. The next five years in just that one space are gonna be astonishing. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. We're your hosts, Trevor Ridd and Kelly Richard. Today, we have a new type of podcast. We have the rare opportunity, one that I would prefer not to have, with a beloved colleague retiring who's had a 40-year career across the healthcare industry. That's Henry Sock. Henry's been an SG2 institution leading our work in new technology and innovation. He's worked with so many of you, our members. And today, we'll ask Henry to look back across his career talk about some of the most impactful technological changes that he saw and was right on the front lines of, and how can we take those lessons learned and apply it to how we think about potentially some of the most influential technology today and in the near future. Henry, thanks so much on one of your last days letting us grab you for a little bit. Trevor and Kelly, it's always good to be able to spend some time with you guys. You make me sound like Methuselah, though. Henry, you must have been a child when you started your career. Four years. <laughs> nice recovery, Kelly. <laughs> Where'd your career start in healthcare? How did it show you right away how big of an impact technological changes can have on healthcare? My healthcare career started out at the hospital level, actually, in terms of teaching. I started out after abandoning my career as a music teacher because music programs are the first things to be cut in schools. So having my high school music teaching gig cut out from under me, I decided to go back and train to be an x-ray tech. I stayed in education, but I was teaching folks on how to be an x-ray tech. And that's where I fell in love with medical imaging and what was going on there. After spending four or five years doing that, I joined Philips Healthcare, working as a clinical specialist. I was very fortunate in that 24 years that I spent with them to be able to work with some of the giants in medical imaging. And that primarily, my role was to take a look at interventional radiology and cardiology back in the late 70s and had a chance to work with the folks who actually pioneered those disciplines. Philips was kind of the market leader in interventional radiology and cardiology and had a chance to work with Dr. Mason Soans at the Cleveland Clinic, one of the pioneers in cardiology, interventional cardiology, and on the other side of the country with Mel Judkins at Loma Linda. I chuckle when I hear my colleagues talk today about using a radial approach to looking at coronary angiography since Dr. Soans was doing that back in 1979. Of course, he wasn't doing a percutaneous approach. He was doing a cut down, but he was using the radial approach to do heart caths in 1979. Those guys were two of the pioneers in developing interventional cardiology as we know it today. Being able to work with them was amazing. If you look at the radiology side of interventional radiology, a kind of similar story there. Working with clinicians like Barry Katzen when he was at Alexandria Hospital, one of the pioneers in interventional radiology. Dr. Katzen today is at Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, still stay in touch with Barry. He has trained more interventional radiologists around the world than almost anybody else that I know. Dr. Arena Van Breda, 
who's at UVA right now, one of the first female interventional radiologists. I had a chance to work with the inventor of angioplasty, Dr. Dotter, out in Portland, Oregon, and some of the just tremendous neuro-interventional radiologists like Alex Berenstein when he was at NYU. It was amazing to watch those disciplines all develop to the point where today they replace many open invasive surgical procedures and we're doing marvelous things. We can go into areas of the body that no surgeon would ever touch and actually improve patients' quality of life. That was just an astonishing way to spend 24 years. That's amazing. It sounds like you got very deep in that space, were very successful, but then you took somewhat of a bold risk and a pivot through an internal opportunity. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Phillips being the leader in that market space, it was fairly easy to kind of do the marketing around that. And I could have stayed with that, but there was an opportunity to start something from scratch. The chief financial officer at North American Phillips Medical came to me and said, we want to start a consulting group. Would you be interested in doing that? Looking at the opportunity to build something from scratch was something that intrigued me a lot. I was told I was crazy by some of my colleagues at Philips to give up the prime position of what was generating the most margin for the company at the time for something that was uncertain. But it was a great experience to be able to build a team from scratch. We were able to build a consulting arm that I think was one of the first in the country to look at a 360 view of doing consulting projects. We staffed that group with administrators, executives from health. So we had a CEO, former hospital CEO, finance people to be able to do all the modeling for financial stuff, clinical specialists that were able to look at the clinical side of it, and product engineers that were able to look at what was going on in terms of engineering development and actually approach projects from the perspective of we could tell if the business opportunity was right, we could tell if the financials were there to be able to support it. We were able to tell if it would really add clinical value to what the client was doing, and we were able to give them a technology roadmap that showed how they could leverage what they were doing in the future. So it was a lot of fun. The other output that I'm probably most proud of was we were one of the first groups to build an online training center. Most clinical professionals have to do continuing education in order to maintain their licenses. There was no venue for doing that. One of the guys that worked on my team was just crazy about programming. And so we built an online learning center to provide continuing education credits for nurses and for technologists. When I left Phillips to join the radiology practice prior to joining SG2, we had probably 300,000 registered users on that site that were getting their clinical continuing education through that site. That was a great opportunity for me as well. When you're in consulting, you get a chance to teach your clients, primarily imaging leaders in health systems, how to run an efficient, effective business. Then you got to run your own imaging practice. Were you able to implement some of those operational best practices you were recommending to others? Yeah, that was an interesting challenge, Trevor. After spending 24 years at Phillips preaching, I decided that it was time for me to figure out if I could walk the talk. And so I joined a radiology practice here in Connecticut where I live and spent five years doing business development for them. It was challenging. It was certainly a different perspective when you're working at the private imaging practice level as to kind of what the business models look like and how you deploy that. The benefit that I had was the president of the practice was one of the best radiologists in the state. And I learned a lot from him in terms of kind of running a business, customer focused. We talk a lot today about consumerism in healthcare. One of the challenges that we had in a very competitive marketplace was how do we make things easy for the clinicians who use our service, but also for the patients who take advantage of the service. Building those centers in a kind of high touch, friendly fashion for the consumer was great fun. 
and working with folks who were passionate about delivering care. Our tagline for the practice was compassionate care, innovative service. And that's what we tried to bring to the table every step of the way. It was a great challenge and great fun to be able to spend that time there. So this is a quick SG2 geek out, but at some point in there, you met Michael Sachs. And for those who don't know, Michael Sachs is the founder of SG2, who passed away unexpectedly last year. Michael was a visionary in the industry and made a big impact, not just through SG2. So your paths crossed at some point when you were there and he managed to bring you over to SG2. How did you guys meet? I had been actually following Michael's work in healthcare for a long time. We had a chance to meet when I was at Philips, and Michael was standing up SG2, and he was looking at technology. And since the big radiology conference is held in Chicago at McCormick Place every year, he was looking to be able to make some connections. And so while I was at Philips, I managed to get Michael a hall pass to be able to come to that conference, which Trevor, you attended one year with me when we were doing that at SG2. I held your bag. Actually, it was Michael Sachs, his wife, Alice, Megan Robb, and Lisa Simovic, who were the attendees there. And when I had a chance to meet Megan and Lisa Simovic, I said to myself, these are really brilliant people, and I would really like to be considered good enough to be able to work for a Michael Sachs company. It was fortunate that that next year, Michael invited me to be one of the speakers at one of the first conferences SG2 did around cardiology because he knew of my involvement there. So I was actually on the speaker program for one of the first conferences that SG2 did. And when Michael decided in uh, 2006 to expand the technology group, he reached out and said, would you be interested in coming to work for me? And didn't have to think about that one very long, jumped on board and it's been 15 and a half years. But Michael was a true visionary in healthcare. Coming into that organization and being able to tap his expertise and to be able to have conversations with him where we could challenge each other's thought processes and I could benefit from the wealth of knowledge that Michael brought to this industry. I couldn't think of a better capstone to my career in healthcare than a chance to spend some time working at SG2 and it's been great. So at this point, you come to work for Michael and your job is to forecast the impact of emerging technology. Looking back on some of your early big bets, are there any that you got right or even any that you got wrong that come to mind? I'm sure there's both. <laughs> yeah, there are both. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> One of the ones that I think we got wrong was we underestimated the impact that digital technology was going to have in healthcare. And that related initially to imaging with uh, the evolution of digital techniques. Healthcare is usually pretty slow to adopt new technologies, but the benefits of that were pretty clear once the technology became available. So I think we underestimated how rapidly that would be adopted in healthcare. The one that we got right, though, once we figured that one out was telemedicine and teleradiology early on. We forecast that one right. The one that we had the most fun with was we had the opportunity to work with the College of American Pathologists and two of my other colleagues and I had a chance to present to them. We said to them at the time, watch what's happening with teleradiology because the same thing is going to happen to pathology. And they told us we were crazy. It was wonderful to be able to go back to them five years later when telepathology was a thing and was real to be able to say, we told you so, you didn't believe us then, but right now it's part of your daily practice and it's having a dramatic impact in your ability to be able to get that done early. So we did get a few of those right as well. And it was fun to have that conversation. Henry, I think that might've been about the time in my career when I was working in the University of Michigan's pathology lab, cutting and making those glass slides. Little did I know that I probably nowadays wouldn't have to do that anymore. 
Should have talked to you then. That's a sequence of pretty exciting and dramatic changes. You also teach now at the college level. Do you take some lessons learned from your experience and have some guiding principles that now you pass on to others? Sure. One of the things that's kind of fun is every semester, every class that I get a chance to teach, somebody comes up to me and says, I want your job. I want to be a vice president. And I always tell them that might not be the right job for you. (laughs) The thing I like to tell these young folks that are extremely enthusiastic about getting their master's in healthcare administration and entering the industry is you're the CEO of your career and you can't expect anybody else to manage your career for you. I guess over the years, there are kind of like six guiding principles that I've used that I try to pass along to these young folks that they might consider. The top one is to work for people whose work you admire, whether it was the physicians that I had a chance to work with that were developing a discipline or Michael, who was a true visionary in healthcare. That's what makes work fun. The past 15 and a half years at SG2 working with just amazing people, I mean, that makes work fun. And it's something where you always learn something every day. The second one is pay attention to what's going on around you. You can always learn something. I always have subscribed to the theory that there's no one trajectory to a career, that you may be able to pivot your career and find something that interests you as your situations change. And you shouldn't be afraid of exploring new opportunities and taking a risk and going on to some different area of the business. The third one would be never stop acting like the new one on the team. You can always learn from someone's perspective. Someone comes in with a different perspective than you have, or someone has a way of looking at a problem that you never thought about before. And that is always amazing. The one thing that I've always loved about working at SG2 is we get the team together in a room and we bounce ideas off each other and have some really heated debates about how we're going to approach a topic or how we're presenting information to our members. That dialogue and that ability to be able to tap all of the expertise in the room is what makes an organization great. The fourth one is around team. There are no lone rangers in business. (laughs) Healthcare is a team sport and team is greater than self. The output of an individual team, from my perspective, is greater than the sum of the individual parts, if you put the right team together. We talked about this before, but I mean this idea of committing to what you're doing, focusing on developing an area of expertise, but then reassessing where you are in your career as you move along and not taking the safe route. It might be better to take a lateral move or even a demotion to be able to learn a new skill or to be able to demonstrate added value to an organization. That idea of committing to what you're doing at the time, focus on gaining expertise, but then reassessing where you are, I think is important for most who are trying to figure out where they're going in this complex and fast-moving world that we're living in these days. You can never rest on your laurels. You're never going to know enough to be able to continue to compete in how fast this market is moving. And then I guess the biggest one for me is follow your heart. You will know when a job is right for you. It's the thing that will get you out of bed in the morning. It's the thing that will inspire passion in you, and that will spill over to the other members of the team. So as Methuselah, that's what I'd recommend to my students. Thank you so much for that. I wrote them all down, considering this a career coaching session for myself personally. But fast forward to today, we're coming off of a really rough year for healthcare. But when you think about the trends that we're seeing as you're leaving healthcare, what are you most optimistic about in terms of the impact that they could make? Let me just pivot the question a little bit, Kelly, because I may be leaving SG2, but I'm a big Monty Python fan. And so maybe I'll quote from a song from Spamalot, I'm not dead yet, 
So we can still call you? Uh, absolutely. You'll still find me on social media. You'll still find me on my blog, which I haven't been keeping up recently. I'm planning on re-energizing that blog on talking healthcare technology. This is just too interesting to kind of step away from. I, I'm passionate about it and I'll continue to read and offer some comments about it. The next five years in healthcare are going to be astonishing. I don't think that's an overstatement. You see the impact that science has made on our ability to address this pandemic. The mRNA vaccines that we developed for COVID in a short period of time are only the first step in the process. The World Medical Innovation Forum, which is a conference that's run out of Mass General and Beth Israel in Boston, just identified their 12 disruptors for 2021 that are going to have an impact in healthcare in the next two years. All of them involve genetic stuff. mRNA vaccines, CRISPR technology and genetic engineering, all 12 of those have gene therapies that are going to improve cancer, Alzheimer's disease, a multitude of other diseases. What we've seen in the development of those vaccines for COVID are only the first step. The next five years in just that one space are going to be astonishing. If you look at the impact of virtual mixed reality in healthcare from a training perspective, from a therapeutic perspective, some of the work that Brennan Spiegel, Dr. Spiegel is doing at Cedars-Sinai, we were fortunate enough to get him as a speaker for our innovation conference a couple of years ago. The work that he's doing in virtual and mixed reality for clinical care is amazing and will have a dramatic impact on post-traumatic stress disorder for patients, pain management for patients. That's going to be interesting to see. And then the continuing work that's going on in terms of the development of machine learning and artificial intelligence in terms of how we manage care, how we look at supply chain, how we look at managing scarce resources in healthcare will continue to have a dramatic impact on what's going on. Stay tuned because if you think the last two years were exciting in terms of science and its application to healthcare, the next five years are going to be amazing around that. And I plan to stay involved for as long as I'm able to construct a coherent sentence. We're looking forward to continuing to read about your insights and give you a call to make sure that we get your input when we're putting together our latest thought leadership. Thanks so much, Henry. Kelly and I are both losing a colleague that we admire. That makes us no less excited about tackling some of the continued exciting things you see for the future. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. And thanks so much for all your time at SG2 and all the help you've given us along the way. Thank you both. Folks like Kelly and yourself are the reason why SG2 and Vizient are well positioned to be able to guide our members going forward and what the future of healthcare looks like and how to, as Michael said in his initial startup of SG2, anticipate the impact of change in healthcare. Thank you so much for the opportunity to work with and learn from you. This has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2 Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice Podcast, on Vizian's Medical Leadership Channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.